This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash science. Just go to Indeed.com slash science right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, y'all. Marce Martin here with a little Tampax story. One time I went on vacation in the Bahamas with some friends, and of course I got my period. I didn't want anything to stop me from living my best life on my trip. So I was like, why not be brave and try Tampax? Before that, I really just thought tampons were for adults, and I definitely thought they'd be uncomfortable. Guess what, y'all? They really aren't. It might take a few tries, but once it's in right, you shouldn't feel it, which is great. For a better way to period, just add Tampax. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hi, I'm Wendy Zuckerman, and you're listening to Gimlet Media's Science Versus. This is the show where we pit facts against fakers. On today's show, science versus hypnosis. Is it real? Are people under mind control or are they just faking? To answer these questions and so much more, I'm going to go on stage, I'm going to let people hypnotise me, and then we're going to pick apart the science. I just don't want him to make me balk like a chicken. I don't want him to make me do that. I want to do that of my own volition. Recently, a few of us from Science Versus went to a hypnosis show on stage at the Mohegan Sun Casino, a sprawling complex in eastern Connecticut. Inside the casino, there is row after row of slot machines and craps tables. There's even a life-sized animatronic wolf perched on a fake cliff. Look at that. That's a wolf. That's a wolf. The wolf The wolf just moved. Oh. We were in for a great Sunday night. Ladies and gentlemen, put it together for the world's greatest hypnotist, your buddy and mine, Mr. Jim Spinato. We met our hypnotist, Jim, backstage before the show. He told us that he started out his career as just your standard magician until one day, a couple of decades ago, when he was asked to be the opening act for a hypnosis show. I didn't even know what that was. And then I watched his show and was like, whoa, what is this all about? Uh, what, what made you go, whoa? Because I, I never saw people act like that on stage. You had people doing some crazy things. What kind of thing? Well. <laughs> Jim laughed like that because he was about to make a bunch of people do some of those very same crazy things. Just come, 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 come. Let's go. Come up on stage. And I'd already told him that I was going to go on stage. Yeah, oh yeah, come up. Hey, happy birthday, baby. All in the service of journalism. Oh yeah, keep coming. We need a bunch, we need a bunch. Around 20 people, including me, walked on stage. And soon, Jim was casting his spell. 
So let me ask you volunteers to sit back in your seats, place your feet flat on the floor, place your hands in your laps, separated please. Yep, close your eyes volunteers, just sit back and close your eyes and just listen, just listen to the music of my voice, really, really simple. All I want you to do is to roll your eyes to the top of the ceiling as far as you can go, as if you're trying to stare at the top of your own forehead, all right? And as I do that, you're gonna feel your eyes begin to get heavy, so heavy that by the time I reach zero, they'll actually close. Just stare. So I was sitting on this chair on stage, and at this point, I felt really relaxed, sort of like if you've ever meditated and the whole world kind of melts away. My head rolled down, and I started to lean forward. I actually thought my head was resting on my chest, but our producers, Caitlin Sorey and Heather Rogers, who were in the audience, told me later that my head was practically in my lap. Zero. Close your eyes, everybody. Everybody, close your eyes. It was then that Jim gave us his first suggestion to put our arms out and imagine that one hand is holding a heavy ball. Based on how low your hand dropped, Jim decided who could stay and who had to go. He kicked about a dozen people off stage, leaving just seven, including me. All of us just happened to be women. It's always it's always women here. So weird. Hmm. No faking. You fake later on tonight if you want, but not up here. Jim's hypnosis show is rated R. It's of the raunchy variety, so lots of swearing, lots of sex jokes. And with seven women on stage, he promised the crowd the entertainment would now really begin. Jim started off with something easy, suggesting that the person sitting next to us smelled unbelievably good. When do you smell that? Yes, no? Okay. You can't hear it, but I said no. I was a bit foggy and maybe I was starting to smell something sweet, but whatever state I was in, I snapped out of it immediately as soon as I saw the woman next to me leaping off her chair and starting to sniff the lady next to her. But she didn't just sniff her like a regular person. She buried her head deep into her crutch. The crowd went nuts. That was the moment I realised I had to get off stage. So I did. But everyone else stayed on, and under hypnosis, they ended up giving the audience lap dances, they got high smoking imaginary weed, they rapped. Yeah, can't stop laughing. They heard noises coming out of their vaginas, and real estate agent Lauren was sent roaming around the club looking for a lost poodle called Twat. Twat! So what in the world was happening on that stage? Were those women really just putty in Jim Spinato's hands, unable to stop themselves from following his every suggestion? Or were they just a bunch of attention seekers faking it for the crowd? Well, the thing is, entertainers aren't the only ones who have been using hypnosis over the years. Some doctors and scientists have been hypnotising patients for centuries with the ultimate goal of improving people's physical and mental health as well as changing bad habits. Give them a suggestion to quit smoking and whammo, they're looking for a dog named Twat. Joking, obviously not. Presumably the ziggies are in the trash and they never have an urge to smoke again. But does hypnosis really work like that? On today's show, we're pushing science verses to the edge of consciousness to answer the following questions. One, what is hypnosis? Two, can everyone be hypnotised? Three, what is happening in your brain when you're under? And four, 
what can hypnosis make you do? Like, how good is the evidence that it really can help you quit smoking? When it comes to mind control, there are lots of opinions. But then, there's science. Let's start with the basics. What exactly is hypnosis? Professor Philip Muskin is a psychiatrist at Columbia University in New York. The only thing you have to be careful with these chairs is they totally have a mind of their own. So if you move even a little, correct. (laughs) For more than three decades, he has been treating his patients with hypnosis. And he says that even after all these years, he can still remember one of the first times he saw someone get hypnotised. It was a doctor who was being hypnotised by another doctor. The hypnotist gave his subject a very simple but rather terrifying suggestion. You cannot separate your fingers. No force on earth will allow you to separate your fingers. When you open your eyes, your fingers will be fused together. You cannot separate them. Zane brought her out of the trance and her hands are like this and he gives her a cup of coffee and she goes to take it and just falls on the ground. I'm amazed. She then did a neurology residency here at the hospital I'm at now. And I ran into her one day. By then, I was a psychiatry resident. So she was now a senior neurology resident. And I said, I've been meaning to ask you this for years. So here we are. What was going on? She said, I don't know. He told me I couldn't take my fingers apart. I couldn't take my fingers apart. He gave me the damn cup of coffee. I made a mess. I was embarrassed, but I couldn't take my fingers apart. Seeing this astounded Philip. He went on to study hypnosis and now he regularly uses the technique on his patients for a variety of conditions like relieving pain and helping people with their phobias. Philip also teaches hypnosis to medical students. He showed us how to hypnotise someone. Look into my eyes. Nah, that was just his Dracula impersonation. Okay, no, here it is. This is how you actually hypnotise someone. And you'll notice that the words that Professor Philip Muskin uses are pretty similar to what Jim said on stage at the Mohegan Sun Casino. Roll your eyes up, roll them up as high as they'll go. And keeping your eyeballs up, slowly close your eyelids, take a deep breath, deep, 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 deep. When I ask you to do this, all I want you to do is to roll your eyes to the top of the ceiling as far as you can go, as if you're trying to... Philip says that you can do a lot of things to hypnotise someone. You don't have to roll your eyes up or take a deep breath. You can show them a spinning spiral or even dangle that old movie classic. The gold watch floating back and forth in front of your eyes. And those are all techniques that work. So... They work. The gold watch works? Sure. But they, they, all work, <laughs> I thought it was... they all work for the same reason, that the person starts to concentrate his or her attention in a very narrow focus. Philip says that when you're so focused and the rest of the world just melts away and all you can hear is the hypnotist's voice, you are entering a trance. Yep, that's seriously what Philip and other academics call it. A trance. Now, Philip says there are a few components to hypnosis. Absorption, dissociation, and suggestibility. Absorption really means that you narrow your focus. You're absorbed. Dissociation means things that are normally one are separated. And suggestibility means that social cues that you might ignore, are, are you're more open to them. Once suggestibility kicks in, the hypnotist makes suggestions to you, like smelling the woman next to you or keeping your hands clasped together. Then the hypnotist basically wakes you up and ends the trance. 
Now, in a minute, I'm going to have you open your eyes. Don't do anything, just listen. At three. three. You can start to move around your seats a little bit. Why don't you do that now? Just get a little bit of energy going on, okay? Four, almost awake. On the next number, your eyes will open. At that point, you'll be wide, wide, wide awake, feeling excellent. You'll Ready? feel refreshed, like you'd taken a short nap. Conclusion. To put someone under, you first focus them, get them absorbed, then give them suggestions. And finally, you wake them up. Oh, and other than the cocktails and the lap dances, what hypnotists do on stage can actually be quite similar to what doctors do in the office. Next question. Is everyone on stage and in Philip's office actually hypnotised? Because there is a problem that plagues hypnotists, and that is fakers. People pretending to be under and carrying out the suggestions just because they want to. Either they want to please the crowd or maybe they want to please their doctor. And the thing is that even scientists have trouble spotting a faker. Even with fancy-schmancy technology like MRI scanners that can map the brain, there is no consistent marker for when the brain is under a hypnotic trance. But a paper reviewing the current state of the science, which cited almost 100 articles published in 2013, concluded that the scientific consensus on hypnosis reckons there is more to it than faking. Some people, they noted, do have genuine experiences of feeling in some kind of trance. So, while some people, when it comes to hypnosis, are surely faking, let's focus on what is happening to the people who aren't. Turns out that some are more likely to go under and follow suggestions than others. What makes these people so highly hypnotizable? Studies with identical twins suggest that there is a genetic link between people who are highly hypnotizable. So it's a trait that could be inherited, but not all identical twins showed a strong genetic link. So there's probably more at play than genetics. And just like you can't use genes to pick out a highly hypnotizable person, according to Philip, you also can't look at someone and accurately guess who is hypnotizable. There are uh, people who are very hypnotizable, but they wear three-piece suits. There are people who dress in a flighty way and everyone thinks, oh, she's hypnotizable and she's anything but hypnotizable. You can be weak-willed, and not be hypnotizable at all, and extremely strong-willed, and be very hypnotizable. And there are no biological tests for who is or isn't highly hypnotizable. There's no blood test or brain scan. The only way to know, say researchers, is to hypnotize people and then ask them to do a series of increasingly complicated tasks while they're under. It's a test, and based on what people do or don't do, the scientists give them a ranking of hypnotizability. There are several of these tests. Two of the most frequently used are from Harvard and Stanford. And when scientists use these tests to rank hypnotizability, they've found that, like most personality traits, being extroverted or neurotic, hypnotizability falls into a spectrum, where most people are in the middle, 10 to 15% are highly hypnotizable. And then there are very few incredibly hypnotizable people. These are people who will follow extremely complicated suggestions. On stage, Jim's hypnosis didn't really work on me, but I wanted to see how I would go in a clinical setting. You know, with a real professional. 
Look into my eyes. Philip gave me a short hypnotizability test, and he used this simple scoring system from zero to five. Zero, not hypnotizable at all. Five, very hypnotizable. He put me under, then told me my arm felt tingly, and it kind of started to feel a bit tingly. Then, after a couple more suggestions, he got me out of it. Open up your eyelids. Open them up and bring them into focus. How do you feel? Uh, yeah, I, I feel very, um, a little bit drugged out. Drugged out? The most similar to when I've felt like this before. Okay. Is it a good feeling or a bad feeling? Uh, it's like a little bit woozy making. A little bit woozy. Okay. So as you can hear, I sound pretty groggy, and that really surprised me. For five minutes of just focusing my attention, for my head to go all foggy, that was odd. And it led Philip Muskin to tell me... You're actually hypnotizable. Sorry to, to disappoint you. What number? What number am I? You're at least a three. At least a three? Who wants to be highly hypnotizable? I want it to be a zero. I don't want people messing with my head in a way that's out of my control. Which brings us to Amanda Barnier. I'm a professor of cognitive science in the Department of Cognitive Science at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. And she studies extremely hypnotisable people, people at the top end of that scale that Philip used on me. And she writes about them in peer-reviewed journals. So she told me about one case of a man called Blake, which isn't his real name. She put him under hypnosis and then she gave him a rather remarkable suggestion. In a moment, I'm going to get you to look into a mirror and you're going to see a stranger, not yourself. And then I said, okay, lean forward, open your eyes and look in the mirror. And he opens his eyes and he looks in the mirror and then he looks around the room and he looks at me and he looks around the room and I said, who is it? And what do you see? And he said, it's not me. I said, do you know who it is? And he said, yeah, oh, I think it's a guy that I used to go to school with. And I said, do you, does he look like you? And he said, um, no. Amanda pushed Blake and he kept saying the person he could see in the mirror was definitely not him. He said, well, his eyes are smaller, his nose is bigger, he's got freckles. So, yeah, that's absolutely one of the most compelling sessions that I've ever sat in. And Blake wasn't the only one. In total, Amanda convinced 14 out of 22 highly hypnotisable subjects that they were seeing a stranger when they looked in the mirror. And of these, 10 said they had never seen this person in the mirror before, two said they had seen the person before, and another two just weren't sure. She also tried this out on people with low hypnotisability, and it didn't work. Conclusion. There is a spectrum of hypnotizability. Most people are in the middle, but there are a few super hypnos. Trademark science versus. These are incredibly hypnotizable people that can be made to not recognize themselves in the mirror. After the break, what's going on in the brain of a super hypno? And how far can you take these highly hypnotizable people when they're under? This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsor job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash science. Just go to Indeed.com slash science right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back. So... What is happening in the mind of highly hypnotizable people? Are they under some weird kind of mind control? Well, there is a much simpler explanation. Placebo. Like the way that taking a sugar pill that you believe is a painkiller can cure a headache. Could believing that hypnosis is real and magical make you experience it as real and magical? Professor Amir Raz is a researcher of cognitive science at McGill University in Montreal. The whole hypnosis thing can be construed as some kind of a complex placebo effect where things happen just because you believe they're about to happen. And some academics do think of hypnosis this way. They point to studies which show that people's preconceived ideas about what happens when you go under influence what happens when you go under. Think about those women on stage at the casino. They did all these things that comedian Jim Spinato wanted them to do. And under this placebo theory, they did those things because they went into the comedy club expecting that that's what being hypnotised would be like. But there is debate here. Other researchers argue that expectation and placebo isn't so important in hypnosis, and they have studies to back up their opinions. It's this conflicting evidence that led Amir to build what he calls the funny room. There is a system, a clandestine system, a a hidden system of some speakers in the ceiling. And we told them that only highly hypnotizable people can hear a mosquito flying in the room. Then Amir pretends to hypnotize these subjects. And then he starts to play recordings of mosquitoes flying very faintly through these hidden speakers. And then they say, you know, goodness. So, picture it. People think they are deeply hypnotised. They're not. And they hear a buzzing sound that they think they're hearing because they're under hypnosis. 
but really, it's just playing on the speakers. And Amir says this is just the first step of the experiment. When they come out of the funny room, they are sort of empowered to think that they're highly hypnotizable. And we wanted to see if we, when we empower people to be highly hypnotizable, regardless of whether they are or aren't, if they would then perform like a highly hypnotizable person. So after all this trickery, Amir actually hypnotised the participants and gave them suggestions. He then repeated the experiment in a variety of ways, all with one goal, to answer the question, would people who expect to be super responsive to hypnosis perform like people who actually are highly hypnotizable? And the answer is that they don't. That is, they didn't do all the things that Amir asked, things that truly hypnotizable people would do. Meaning that people's expectations don't fully explain how they react to real hypnosis. Which has led Amir to believe that hypnosis cannot be completely explained by placebo. I can very emphatically say that a large part of what hypnosis is is placebo, but then again, I'm not for a second claiming that hypnosis is only placebo. A 2006 experiment, charmingly titled Expect the Unexpected, which came from a different team of researchers, also found that expectation could not fully explain how people respond to hypnosis. They wrote that the idea that it's all expectation, quote, seems too extreme, end quote. Conclusion. The placebo effect can explain some of why hypnosis works, but it appears that it doesn't explain everything. So, what else is going on in these highly hypnotizable people? For decades, researchers have probed the brains of these people, trying to answer this very question using brain scanners, MRIs or PET scanners. And some of these small studies have found that the brains of people who are experiencing something under hypnosis look an awful lot like the brains of people who are actually experiencing the real thing. Let me give you an example. So there was this study of a man who was hypnotised and told that he couldn't move his leg. And the researchers found that the activity of two areas in his brain looked really similar to a person who actually had this condition known as hysteria paralysis. It's a rare psychological condition where you can't move a body part, in this case, a leg. The paper was published in The Lancet. In another study, researchers scanned the brains of eight highly hypnotizable people while they played them an audio recording of a generic sentence with no particular significance. This is what it was. The man did not speak often, but when he did, it was worth hearing what he had to say. And they played it over and over and over again so that it would get stuck in the subject's mind. The man did not speak often, the man but when did he did, did not speak often, but when he, but when he did, it was worth hearing what he had to say. Then... The people were hypnotised and told that they were hearing the recording again. The man did not speak. But they weren't. They were just hypnotised and thought they were hearing it. Finally, the people were told to imagine hearing the line. No hypnosis this time, just thinking about it. The man man did not not speak speak often, but when when he did, it was worth hearing what he had to say. The researchers found that when the people heard the recording, a particular area of their brain lit up. And when they were hypnotised, that same area also lit up, just like when they were hearing it. But when they were told to merely imagine the recording, when they weren't hypnotised at all, that part of the brain stayed 
dark. The same effect has been seen when people are hypnotised and told that they're feeling pain, and even when they're told they can't see colour. Now, within these brain studies, there's a particular area of the noggin that comes up over and over again. It's called the anterior cingulate cortex. It's a hook-shaped node in the middle of the front of the brain. And it seems to affect how we perceive the world around us. There's even evidence suggesting that it affects how we perceive our own pain. So if this area gets tweaked during hypnosis, it kind of makes sense that it would change a person's perception of reality. Here's Amir again. If the anterior cingulate cortex begins to monitor behavior differently and decides that something is sad when it's not so sad, or the other way around, that something is really funny when it's not so funny, this would bring about a very dramatic change in behavior. Very dramatic. Now, all this research suggests that a hypnotist is kind of controlling people's minds. But there are problems with these studies. For one, they're often really small. Plus, it's really hard to interpret the brain. Yes, areas of the brain light up in particular patterns. But the brain is lighting up in different ways all the time. And it's very hard to control for these variables, particularly when you have so few people in a given study. So, For example, when we look back at that leg paralysis study where the man's brain lit up in two areas just like a real patient with hysteria paralysis, well, recently that same group of researchers looked at 12 other people, repeated the general experiment and couldn't replicate their results. And just to make my brain hurt and maybe your brain hurt a little bit more, while those leg studies that we talked about used PET scanners, many others have used MRIs. And a study out this year found that some computer programs used to interpret MRI scans are actually spitting out unreliable results, making areas of the brain look like they're lighting up when actually they aren't. The implications of this work are still being nutted out and the results of that study will need to be replicated. But meanwhile, here's how Philip summed up our current knowledge of the brain under hypnosis. So we can look at the brain and we can, to some extent, look at the brain functioning. But there's a lot that goes on we don't have a clue about. Conclusion. Some studies suggest that the brain is affected in powerful ways under hypnosis but there can be real issues with interpreting some of these studies. So for now, the hypnotised brain remains a mystery. Next question. So even though we don't know what is happening in the brain under hypnosis, there is still this question of what we can actually make people do when they're under. Now, one way to answer this question would be to push people to their limits, really make them do something under hypnosis that they would never want to do. Amanda Barnier pushes her subjects pretty far. He said, it's not me. me. But even she has her limits. I don't know how far, and I don't know that, and it's not ethical to test how far that mind control will go. I haven't tested, and I don't know where the limit is. There's going to be a limit somewhere. I don't want to test it. (laughs) Ugh, academics with their pesky ethics. Well, there's one organisation that doesn't have to worry about those. The CIA. And in fact, in the 1950s, they looked at how far you could push hypnosis using covert programs with adorable names like Project Bluebird, Project Artichoke and the less adorable MKUltra. 
A partially redacted CIA memo summarised their thoughts on the potentials of hypnosis. 5th of May, 1955. Subject, hypnotism and covert operations. I apologise for submitting a document as long as this one. The subject is highly controversial, and even this treatment, which may appear long, is abbreviated. Don't just get to the important bit. Is this a part of, like, our... Is this what we're doing? Is this a part of, like, us acting? Yeah. Okay, because that really surprised me. The possibilities are not only interesting, they are frightening. A kind of double-think Orwellian world of hypnosis, while unlikely, is not utterly fantastic. The CIA knew this Orwellian world was unlikely because of studies they cited in their declassified documents, like this one, where researchers told a deeply hypnotised woman to stab and poison several people. She did so without even hesitating. But when they told her to undress, she snapped out of her hypnotised state and refused. The thing is, she knew the murders weren't real. And they weren't. The researchers had used rubber daggers and sugar pills for the poison. But the undressing? That was real. And she could tell the difference. Which is why, in 1960, the CIA concluded in a declassified report... It appears extremely doubtful that trance can be induced in resistant subjects. So that's the CIA. And 50 years later, Jim Spinato and his R-rated hypnosis show also ran up against those limits. He got those women to do some pretty weird stuff on stage when they were under. Here's Lauren, the real estate agent. (laughs) She did most of Jim's suggestions, but not one. Jim suggested that she go nuts making out with her husband when Jim would say the words... Pancakes, 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 pancakes! Jim said that she wouldn't be able to control herself with her husband. Now... Lauren sat in her husband's lap, kissed him a little, but that was it. At that point, I already was, okay, there's a lot of people here and that's inappropriate. Let's just kiss like normal people. Okay, so hypnosis probably won't make us undress in front of strangers or maul our husband on stage if we actually don't want to do that. But what about the smaller things, things we might actually want to do, like quit smoking, lose weight, sleep better, or maybe even stop pain, say, during childbirth. There are lots of claims out there that hypnosis can do the trick for all of these things. But the problem is there just isn't enough good evidence to show whether or not hypnosis works for any of these. Yes, there have been clinical trials, but sometimes they aren't particularly good quality. They typically don't have a lot of people within them, and scientists use different ways to hypnotise their subjects in different studies, which makes it really difficult to compare results and come up with solid findings. It also makes it really difficult to say the likelihood that hypnosis can help you. Conclusion. Even highly hypnotizable people probably won't do everything they're told to by a hypnotist. Best we can tell, there are limits. Even when you go into a trance, you can probably snap yourself out of it. Which takes us back to my greatest fear, being forced to make animal noises while I'm under hypnosis. Straight after Philip Muskin hypnotised me in his office, I asked him... With more work, could you make me quack like a duck? If you wanted to. That is, if you wanted 
during the experience to be disinhibited in that way? For me, I guess the the whether the say to bark like a duck or bark like a dog or quack like a duck, that would be evidence for me about the power of hypnosis, I guess. That, the power uh, of hypnosis is internal. What you're saying is that would be evidence of my power over you. That is not how hypnosis works. So when it comes to science versus hypnosis, does it stack up? First, does hypnosis really work? Well, on stage, there's peer pressure and wanting to get a laugh, so it's hard to know how many of those people are faking it. And in fact, even in the lab, picking out a faker can be a problem. But based on the research we have found, hypnosis does seem to be a real thing. Next, can everyone be hypnotised? No, but most of us probably can. People fall along a spectrum of hypnotizability, and about 10 to 15% of people are highly hypnotizable. Okay, now, what is happening in your brain when you are under? Well, that is something that scientists are very much still trying to figure out. For people who do seem to be highly hypnotizable, there is a chance that what we're seeing isn't them under hypnosis, but rather the placebo effect in action. But placebo doesn't explain all experiences of hypnosis. Still, according to the science, you're not under a spell or someone else's control. And for now, there is no evidence that you entirely lose control of yourself. So if hypnosis isn't all faking, and it's not all placebo, and it's not mind control, what is it? Here's the best answer we got. When your mind is truly focused, and all you can hear is the hypnotist's voice, you're just more likely to follow suggestions. Hearing this just baffled me a lot. So... I asked Philip Muskin about it. The trance and the, the, the being very, very focused, I can completely understand. But the fact that then your mind is more malleable, it's more likely to be suggestible when you're concentrating. How does that happen? What is the, what, how does that happen? So how does it work? We don't, we don't know. And of course, whenever we don't know how something works, it either makes us think it's false BS of some sort. But you don't. I don't. I don't from my personal experience. I don't from my experience with patients. Does it frustrate you that there's not a mechanism at play that we know about? We don't know about so much that, uh, you know, truly, if you get yourself caught up in all the things we don't know, uh, the world seems hopeless. I'll give you a common example. Falling in love. Most everybody falls in love. You see somebody and you say hello and you're pretty much in love at that moment. Boom. What is that? We could come up with stuff, but we're making it up. So while a lot of hypnosis remains a mystery, it does seem that there is something about being so completely focused on the words that someone tells you so completely focused on the words that someone tells you that everything else just fades away, just fades away. And you are so focused on the words that you hear 
so focused on the words that you hear that you just nod your heads and you start to bark, 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 like a chicken. That's science versus hypnosis. This episode has been produced by Heather Rogers, Caitlin Kenny, Austin Mitchell, Dr. Diane Wu, and Truti Ravindran. Our senior producer is Caitlin Sorey. Edited by Annie Rose Strasser and fact-checking by Michelle Harris. Sound design and music production by Matthew Boll, mixed by Martin Peralta. Music written by Martin Peralta and Bobby Lord. Thanks to Alex Bloomberg for being the man that spoke pretty often in the end. It was worth hearing what he had to say. And Jonathan Goldstein for being our CIA agent. And if you like the sound of that CIA agent... That really surprised me. ...then you will love Jonathan's new show. It's called Heavyweight. You can subscribe now, Heavyweight, and hang around for a preview of it in just a moment. Science Versus is a production of Gimlet Media. Next week, we're looking at Zika. Should you be worried? And why is it becoming a big deal now? I'm Wendy Zuckerman. Back to you next time.